Part 3 of 5 of Jessica and Vampire the Masquerade. And as always, I'm Steve. I'm Tracy. I'm Mark. And joining us is... Hi, I'm Jessica. Well, I would like to know a little bit more about how, as a storyteller, you prepare for an individual session. Sure. I know you have a lot, you have a bigger story arc that your larger community participates Mm -hmm. in, but Mm -hmm. in your chronicle, do you set up a scenario that will be resolved in that instance that's related to the location that has props Mm -hmm. and all kinds of cool stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have a storyteller meeting, of course, right before game, and we decide what we're going to do. We, we, like I said, we call it Monster of the Week. That would be our one game, one session thing that can be solved if the players want to solve. Sometimes, well, my husband says no plot survives contact with players. Like they're mm-hmm. always changing things. <laughs> so sometimes they're not interested. They just want to socialize. But I always do have stuff prepared for people that do uh, want to do those kind of things. Currently, my players are hunting a ghost. So they're doing things. Vampires do not want other supernaturals to be discovered because vampires believe in the masquerade. They're hiding. They don't want humans to know about them. So they also don't want humans to know about other supernatural things. So oftentimes it involves trying to stop other supernaturals from getting caught. And in this case, my players are trying to find a ghost currently. It took them a little longer than I thought it would. So it's turned into a two game session plot. But yeah, that would be an example of a shorter one. A longer one would be one with like a lot of moving parts, like maybe there'll be a scavenger hunt, just like with an overarching D&D session. So you might have a scavenger hunt, you got to put the pieces together. We also try to make sure our players in our chronicle are able to do things like if we have a non-fighty character, if we have like a thinking person that's built like a thinking character, we want to be sure there are puzzles and stuff for them to solve. So they're part of the plot and it's not always killing something or destroying or defeating something that there's like a puzzle part or a, a social part or something that's unique to each character so that everybody gets a chance to participate with their character concept. Just, again, it's very similar to D&D, where you don't want to have all fighter plots if you have a bunch of wizards, right? You've got to add, (laughs) you've got to have content for your players, your individual players, and their individual role-playing style that they can choose from. Yeah, Yeah. that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So those would be the smaller ones that we would prepare for each game. Yeah. So how many of these, I guess, Chronicles would... Chronicles is just a session, or is Chronicle like a separate city's story? Or So how many of these are there across, say, the United States? Well, we have 150 or uh, separate Chronicles in One World by Night. That's not across the United States, though. That's in, like I said, Canada, the U.S., and Brazil. That also includes Guru genre, we do have werewolf games that play in the same world as the vampires do, and they can fight each other as their PCs because they're all part of the same. We also do have mage and changeling games that are represented, as well as uh, wraith games. 
But those games typically don't interact as much with the vampire and guru games. They tend to be more, they're happening within the same shared story, but they tend not to go poking the bigger creatures. So those players (laughs) kind of play with each other more. But the majority of our games are vampire and guru right now. And you'd said each city, a chronicle is usually a geographic area, like I said, Peoria. So in my area, we have St. Louis, Springfield, Peoria, Chicago, Kenosha, Wisconsin, and Milwaukee, just within like driving distance. And there are different genres within the vampire. There are different kinds of vampires. So each different kind might have their own chronicle. For example, the Camarilla, which are vampires that are very much into politics and not killing they have their own chronicle versus vampires called the Sabbat that are into killing. And they, well, it, not to get too into it, but the Sabbat vampires don't believe in the masquerade. Like I mentioned earlier, vampires want to hide. Camarilla vampires want to hide. Sabbat vampires don't. So those are two separate genres within our organization. And they can cross genre, but we have separate games for them. So, so. Th- they aren't operating in the same uh rented space they will rent their own space and do that right yes exactly and their stories might affect our stories but yeah they play at different times otherwise it would just be constant pvp because their white wolf wrote them to be enemies so right those two factions yeah so they hold separate games so for example peoria has in this in the city of peoria there's more than one chronicle for example. But in the big events, both the Sabbat and Ventru or whatever, they would they would all be in the same thing, and so there would mm-hmm. be a good bit of PvP or no? No, an event game would be just for that sect. So okay. uh, an event game would just be Camarilla, and, and maybe vampires that don't identify with sect might come to a Camarilla event because they tend to be less fighty, less killy, less violent. Right. So they would, just those vampires would go there, yeah. And then the Sabbat, they have their own event games. And Guru has their own event games, and yeah. But you said that the Guru, they sometimes, like, would be in a a same one. So some events do have that, or is that not how that works, or? They might have games at the same event, but they wouldn't be playing at the same time. I'm sorry, I should have clarified that. Okay. Yeah. So, for example, we have a large event that happens every spring in Baltimore. It's called Glitter and Gloom. And Glitter and Gloom (laughs) is mainly a Camarilla vampire event. But during the day, they might run Mage, the Ascension. They might run uh, Werewolf, the Apocalypse, these other kinds of games. But that wouldn't be in the same universe as what's happening with the vampires in the evening. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. Since you brought up Sabbat, I, I'm just kind of curious. I was going to ask this earlier. Sure. If you had to label an entire clan as the Murder Hobo Clan, <laughs> which one would you label? Wow. I mean, the Zamish <laughs> are really gross. They're yeah. a body horror clan. They physically change themselves and others to be killing machines. 
Right. So, and, and I could be saying, I could be pronouncing that wrong because I think it is a Slavic word, but I'm, Samish, I'm, mm-hmm. I think is how you pronounce it. That would be right up there for me. The, <laughs> the Bali or another clan, uh, B-A-A-L-I. Mm-hmm. And they, well, they're, they had to have their own imprint, I think, because their flat book was really nasty. They were not published oh. under the regular White Wolf stuff. If I remember correctly, they were published under an adult imprint. Oh, what do you bad. mean by imprint? Oh, like a publish, a different publisher that publishes adult material, like sexual material. Yeah, back in the 90s. So I think the Bali are also pretty bad that way. Mm. So yeah, I mean, but as far as players choosing which clans to be murder hobos in, all are equal opportunity. It's really, I mean, it's really the player (laughs) and the kind of character they create around that clan. Yeah, we've had within our history, one of the scariest murder hobos was a uh, Toreador. So his name was Shade and we had to have what's called a conclave and we had to have a national meeting where people decided to do a blood hunt, which is where all vampires were acquired. Yeah. Again, I hate getting into the minutia, but he was a Toreador. So, yeah. No, sometimes we love minutia. (laughs) Well, this was, yeah, yeah, this was a a thing where all the genre coordinators showed up to the event game portraying their elder vampires, and they put out what's called a blood hunt, which within the Camarilla is like a wall that says everyone has to kill this one other person. And they put it out on this PC named Shade, who was a Toreador. What did Shade do yeah. to get the wrath of the Conclave brought down, <laughs> crushing upon his head? He, he killed a bunch of PCs. <laughs> fairly. I mean, he did it fairly. fairly. But part of the politics is if if I'm not strong enough, say, to avenge you, say you and I are, are teammates or we're friends or whatever in game, if I'm not strong enough to avenge you myself, part of the social benefit is I can go to somebody else who is and offer them a favor to avenge you for me. So that's and what enough people happening. did that. <laughs> yep. And enough people did that with shade and he has a, a place forever in our game's history now because of that. So, I mean, he may have lost his character, but I think it's pretty cool that no one will ever forget his name. No one will ever forget that character. You know? <laughs> right. Cause that happened. Yeah, that happened. So yeah, so Murder Hobo is equal opportunity, I think. Nice. It it I I love the thought of a human player involved in a game about eternal creatures. Mm-hmm. And that player has a vampire that does a thing but then gets killed for it. Right. Yet at the same time there's a bit of that eternal life that goes on yeah. for the player with this character yeah. in the lore. Yeah. So That is a cool yeah. aspect, yeah. 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 Yeah, I like that a lot. So how does do the different stories that happen in the different chronicles, how do they come together? Is there a like a website Mm-hmm. Or some way where the storytellers like report the story that happened in each adventure? Oh, sure. We have, we do have a website, but we really still rely on email lists. And um, we're in constant communication with each other through a storyteller list. I'd mentioned earlier, there's a council member list 
So those people that vote on rules for the organization, that list is very active. We, we of course, use Discord. And on our website, we have, by, I'm sorry, by yearly report, where you report in every six months what your game is doing. If you need help from a genre coordinator like myself, if you have any characters that have done anything that would hit the national news, like did you have a character blow up a bridge or something, that would make the national news so the other games would know about it. So those are all the ways we have to keep in touch with each other. Yeah. So you do try to have a continuity mm -hmm. of consequence yes. across everyone in the organization. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that is one of the things I think that um, draws people to One World by Night. We're not the only Vampire LARP organization. There are other ones out there that reset every five years or have other ways um, that they manage their story, but we never stop our story. Our story is continuous and we affect each other in different chronicles. So that's so cool. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Mm. Mm. <laughs> oh my gosh, I bet you guys have a line on those like fake vampire teeth. <laughs> right? Does everybody put uh, their fake vampire teeth yeah. in when they come to play? It's kind of gauche. They don't do that. Yeah. Seriously. Wow. Yeah, they don't do that. Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. <sighs> Costuming is a thing, don't get me wrong, but not very many people wear the fake teeth. I mean, oh. I'd, I'd have like saber tooth things and I'd be like, hey, how you doing? I, I would just go in 310%, right. I think. <laughs> then Sabat would it, probably be the genre for you then, oh, if you're going Yeah, on. I know, yeah. right? Right? Yeah. Right? That, I will say that the... The two people that tried to court me the most to play at the game store, mm -hmm. Toreador mm -hmm. and a Sabat. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, well, those are two kind of, um, well, what do right. I, what do I want to do? Uh, you could be both. Hmm. I love my Toreador Sabat. Well, oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. I have among all my players, I have some that are Toreador that are Sabat members that are Toreador, yeah. and instead of making art, they like to make pain. So, <laughs> yeah. So they're Professional torturers! Yes. <laughs> That's terrible. So, I can't believe so I like Their thing to do is, is to cause pain as, as opposed to causing art. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And, and they're super fun, and, and we have a good time when I run scenes for them. So one of my jobs as a genre coordinator is creating documents and packets to help new players get involved, help old players remember what we've been and what we, you know where we've been and what we're doing. And I'm just, I hope to have it finished in a month, our Sabat Toreador genre packet. I'm so excited for them to see it. We have some neat, <laughs> there's just some neat ideas in there that I think is going to get people jazzed to play Sabat Toreador. So yeah, so we're excited oh, for that. Oh, that's wonderful. Yep. That's so great. if you want to join a parlor mm -hmm. LARP, yes. what are your steps? Uh, if you're just a total hey. noob like me, sure. do you pick out your character first? Do you, like, sure. sounds like different types of vampires don't play in the same story. You're right, yeah. So so if you'd want to choose your group first, if, assuming you were, you can play vampire tabletop. So if you were creating a tabletop game, of course you would have more uh, control over what you were doing. But if you're joining a LARP organization, then you'd 
want to contact them first and see if they have a game near you. Our website is O-W-B-N, O-W-B-N, say it slow, .org. And you can look up and see where the games are. If there's one in your state, you can look them up by genre. And that'll let you know if there's one nearby. Once you find the game nearby, then you want to contact the storytellers or the staff of that game and kind of ask. They're never going to say, play a Torridor because we don't have any, or play a Ventru because we don't have any. But rather, they would ask you, what do you want to play and help guide you to create a character that is good for a new LARPer as well as good for the story that they have going on. And that is something you're excited about. Because if you're not excited, you're not going to come back, right? So it, it has to be kind of all those three things come together, I think. Yeah, now, so, do they have... Oh, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I was going to say, so if you live out in BFE, where do they have like Discord servers that you can join for that as well on the website? They do, yes. You would want to, yeah, go through the website. There, there are Discord-only games, games that never meet live, which has caused some issues in our local game about is that really LARPing? I, I think it is. I mean, I think any way we can get together to play is good. But there are Discord-only games. There are also games that might have Discord times. They have live action times and then Discord times. And then there are also games that do what's called downtime. So your time in between your live games where you can do actions as your vampire in Discord, but it wouldn't be with the whole game. It might be just with one storyteller or just with you and your friends. So there are those kind of options for playing if you live in a place where there isn't a local game. And costumes, how required or elaborate are those? And that goes, I suppose, for live versus Discord, because I assume there's a difference. Right. They're never required, of course. I mean, if you just get off work and come play, we'd rather have you just come play than waste energy getting dressed up if you don't feel like it. But some people really get into it. Other people don't. The event games are where you see more costuming. I sometimes jokingly call it gamer prom. We discuss ahead of time. <laughs> we have a, a women's group where we chat within our org, where it's just us female gamers that LARP. And we're always talking about what are you wearing to the next event? What's your character wearing? <laughs> this is the theme. Because events usually have themes. So you want to dress within the theme. And, and it, it's a lot of fun for That's that awesome. aspect of it. But yeah. Yeah. So for your, so you're mentioning that you're playing in a bunch of different places, online, in person. It seems like you live in a very kind of towards the center of a web of all kinds of great urban areas to go to, right? I, I mean, I'm fortunate in that there are a lot of places that I can travel to to play. That's true. Yeah. So how often... Do you run a particular chronicle? Right. I mean, how, how often do you have the same people together to play in this particular story arc, let's say? It depends, of course, on the chronicle. Like I'd said before, chronicle sovereignty is important. So there's no rule about how often you have to meet. But most chronicles meet twice a month, every other week, usually every other weekend. It's usually on a Friday or Saturday night. 
Peoria specifically only meets once a month, but yet Chicago, for example, meets twice a month. So just to give you the like different games are running different times. Right. As a genre coordinator, I probably put in 20 hours a week answering player emails and running Discord scenes. Wow. Yeah, and doing doing administrative work, checking the bylaws, making sure my players are represented, making sure that they're the Toreador are balanced compared to other plans and just yeah, I, I probably put in about 20 hours a week. So so yeah, it can be time consuming, but there are lots of people that just show up to play twice a month. So they play six hours a month and they enjoy it. It's it's like anything, whatever you put into it. Mark, did you have something? Were you inclining? No, uh, not really. I was oh. I was just thinking that that sounds awesome and putting in 20 hours a week for a gaming group, that's a... Uh... That's a hefty commitment. And that's awesome. I'm sure your players benefit a lot from that. That's awesome. I well, I I enjoy it. I'm a stay at home mom, so and I'm a former teacher, so I really enjoy helping create community for the players. And especially during COVID, I think it was really important that we found ways to connect with each other, whether that was in character as our characters or out of character, just as people who like the same hobby and. And are waiting to see each other again when we can at event games when we go back to LARPing. So to me, it's worth the time. How many players usually end up at each Chronicle, I guess? Not like the big events, but like Sure, sure. Anywhere between 10 and 25. I am certain in bigger cities like San Francisco, Boston, where we have games, that there are probably more than that. But around here in the Illinois area, it, it fluctuates between 10 and 25 people. So, And would there be more than one storyteller at a session that had tw- 10 or 25 people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for I only had, we had our very first post-COVID game in June and we had 10 people showed up, but both storytellers were there. So we still, yeah. We still have stuff to do because even if only 10 people show up, our Chronicle might have like 50 characters in it where people are not choosing to come to game, but maybe they're doing Discord only or they've parked their character there for whatever reason. They're not ready to play yet. They're not don't feel comfortable coming back from COVID yet. So there's still about 50 characters that we administer where we look at their character sheets, make sure they're spending their XP appropriately, that kind of stuff. So. So there's still stuff for two people to do, even if there's only 10 people at the game site. So the organization and the people like you who work within Mm -hmm. it for the players and the story, Mm -hmm. you also perform, and and I I know you mentioned this earlier and I just kind of let it, you know, slide by, but you, you also help the people who are playing, who are part of the organization. You actually help them, your error correctors, and you 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 have you actually have copies of their sheets. Yeah, as as yeah. an ST, I definitely see all of the the characters that are in my chronicle. I'm responsible for mm-hmm. their sheet because we have rules as an org about how often and how much XP you can spend, so that everybody's kind of fair. So it's fair, right? So right. I make that's happening appropriately. I might help someone if they don't know what to spend their XP on. 
They might say to me, I like, I don't know where to take this character. So we might look at a list of abilities, which would be things that everybody could do, like fire a gun, drive a car. So we might look at a list of abilities and say, well, what are you missing? What would your character like to learn? What do you think would be useful for solving plot? And I'll kind of help them that way. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, sorry, just a second, Tracy. I want to I ask you a question. Did you start out playing normal dice-driven tabletop role-playing games? In, in high school, like mm -hmm. the story of many women I've heard my boyfriend play. <laughs> uh -huh. We had this little side <laughs> story, but we had one magic deck that we bought in Fairmont. And we used to split uh -huh. the deck apart and play with half the deck. So that's wow. kind of how we started. <laughs> yeah. We would just split it into wow. and play because we only had one deck between the kids that played at high school at first when we started. But yeah, I started playing D&D &D with my high school boyfriend. And then I went when I went to college, like I said, I, I went to IIT in Chicago and there was hmm. a gaming group there with many more people and they played way more games than just D&D. We even went on a field trip where we went to Peter Jackson games because that was nearby at the time. And I think he did the Illuminati card set or something. Mm -hmm. But he, yes, so, he we, so that group had the ability to go do fun stuff like that too. And, and that's kind of how I got into gaming. My husband started playing Vampire first in 94 and he would leave to go play like he would leave campus to go play with people in the city. And it was huge in the goth scene. That was the big mm -hmm. connection. Yeah, it was between. So we would have gamers. I w we would go to these games where gamers like myself would go the entire time to play vampire. And goth kids would come to pre-party at the game before going out to the goth <laughs> club. Because uh, <laughs> they were interested in the genre maybe, but not as invested in the rules as gamer kids were so so it was really fun in those early 90s years we had a good time i think i went off of your question though no you did not oh, okay okay no you did okay. not you obviously haven't listened to enough of me speaking <laughs> to know that that's not all. that's not yeah. all. so Ooh. to finish real quick though i go ahead started the, the character i said that i've had for 20 years my husband and i got married and one of the first things we did was create characters because if he was going to be leaving every weekend to do this thing and we were newlyweds, I kind of felt like I should at least try it. And that's how I mm -hmm. got started. And I only stopped to have some children. So <laughs> I think the pregnant vampire is kind of weird. So I did stop when they were little. But yeah, so that's awesome. Thanks for joining us on Game Mastery. You can always check us out on anchor.fm slash game dash mastery or follow us on Twitter at mastery underscore game, Instagram at Game Mastery Podcast, or Facebook and YouTube at Game Mastery. If you'd like to ask us a question or get some follow-up information, maybe submit a topic for the show, please email us at rpg.gamemastery at gmail.com. 
And we'll be back next week for more information to make your games better and to make you a better Game Master.